following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley. I pastor the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Thank you for listening today. The truth of Romans 7 cannot be found out of context. Now, generally, we speak about don't take a verse out of context. But we also must follow that same principle and not take a chapter out of context. Many in the modern church have used Romans 7 through the years as an excuse for the sinning Christian. We need to examine this carefully and see if in the light of the context of Scripture that's a justifiable position. We have to begin in the sixth chapter to begin to get the flow of what the Apostle Paul is talking about. Now, let's be clear. There were no separations, no chapter divisions when the book of Romans was written. In fact, there was almost no punctuation. A sentence might run for a whole page. So we have to read it with the recognition that we can't separate out our favorite part or one chapter and say, now this is the truth, and somehow justify our being able to continue walking in sin. So we're going to begin in Romans, the sixth chapter, the twelfth verse. Therefore, and any time I read therefore, I have to go back and say, what does that therefore reference? Therefore what? Well, if you look back just a few verses, we'll begin with verse 8 to get the therefore. This is Romans 6, verse 8. But if we died with Christ... We believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised out from the dead men, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him, for he died. He died with reference to sin once and for all. But in that he lives, he lives with respect to God, so also you must think yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but living for God in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
therefore what's the therefore therefore is because you must consider yourself as dead to sin and alive to jesus now if you're alive to jesus he's going to tell us now how we must think in so many ways this christian walk is about what we think because what we think will cause us to act and our actions are what reveal the true intent of our heart therefore the sin must not reign in your mortal body to obey it in the lust of it and you must not yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness to the sin but once and for all yield yourselves to god as living out from among spiritually dead men and yield your members as instruments of righteousness for god for sin will not rule over you because you are not under law but under grace now i'd like to read for you out of the hcsb translation translation i'd like to read for you romans the sixth chapter and i'm going to begin with verse 12 romans the sixth chapter verse 12 therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness but as those who are alive from the dead offer yourselves to god and all the parts of yourselves to god as weapons for righteousness for sin will not rule over you because you are not under law but under grace so obviously in a moment we'll come to romans 7 and if you want to insist that paul was walking in sin and was the chief of sinners he's lying to us in romans 6 now you can't have it both ways either paul was washed by the blood and made clean and was walking without sin and then we must understand romans 7 in light of romans 6 and in romans 8 we cannot separate romans 7 out and say paul was a great sinner if he was a great sinner he was the greatest hypocrite that ever walked on the earth because he's telling all of us stop sinning so look with me at romans the sixth chapter and i'll begin with verse 15 what then should we sin because we're not under law but under grace absolutely not or another translator says not even once don't you know that if you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves you are slaves of that one you obey either of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness so he's saying if you offer yourselves to your flesh you're leading yourself to death but thank god verse 17 that although you used to be slaves of sin you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching you were transferred to and having been liberated from sin you became enslaved to righteousness i'm using a human analogy because of the weakness of your flesh just as you offered the parts of yourselves as slaves to moral impurity and to greater and greater lawlessness so now offer them as slaves to righteousness which results in sanctification holiness hegios walking without sin for when you were slaves of sin you were free from a uh, i'm sorry when you were when you were free from 
allegiance to righteousness. So either you're in sin and your allegiance, pardon me, is to righteousness, or your allegiance is to righteousness, to walk with God. So what fruit was produced from the things that you're now ashamed of? For the end of these things is death. But now, since you have been liberated from sin and have become enslaved to God, you have your fruit which results in sanctification, holiness, and the end is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's be clear. Paul is saying that when you were walking in sin, you bore fruit. And that fruit now makes you ashamed. And the end of that fruit born in sin is death. But verse 22, but now having been freed from sin and having been made servants for God, you have your fruit in sanctification or holiness and the end life of eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. Is death. But the gift of grace from God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, if you're walking in sin now, you're walking in death. And there's only one recourse to that death, and that is repentance. Quickly hearing what the Holy Spirit is saying and repenting and saying, I won't walk that way anymore. It's a difference in the way you think. And that results in a difference in the way you act. So we come to Romans 7 with a clear understanding that in chapter 6 of Romans, Paul is saying that the Christian no longer walks in sin. That the wages of sin are death. That you have to walk clean before God. Now, Many in the modern church have come and twisted the words of Paul in chapter 7 to justify their sin. But when you leave it in the context of chapter 6 and chapter 8, you have to totally readjust your interpretation of chapter 7. Now, chapter 7 opens, Or are you ignorant, brethren? For I am speaking to men that know law, that the law lords it over the man for so long a time as he lives. Now the married woman has been bound by law to the living husband. But if the husband may die, she has been released from the law of the husband. So then the husband being alive, she will be called an adulteress if she may become married to a different husband. But if the husband may die, she is free from the law. She is not an adulteress, having become married to a different husband. Therefore, my brethren, you were also put to death to the law by means of the body of Christ, with the result that you became married to a different husband. If you are still walking under the law, as he's going to explain in Romans 7 that he was before his conversion experience, if you're continuing to walk under the law, then you cannot be married to Christ Jesus, for you would be an adulterer. Do you see that? But you having been raised out from among the dead so that we may bear fruit to God, the fruit of righteousness, not of sin. 
So this is Paul's segue between chapter 6 and what he wants to say to us in chapter 7. Verse 5, For when we used to be in the flesh, that is, when we used to be in the old carnal nature, the wicked man, the passions of our sins through the law used to be at work in our members with the result that we bore fruit to death. What are our members? Our hands, our feet, our mind. This sin was at work in our members and the law was condemning us. Verse 6, but now we have but now we were delivered from the law, having died to that by which we used to be bound with reference to us to serve God in newness of spirit and not in oldness of letter. So Romans 7 is going to tell us about the agony of living under the law waking up every morning with a guilty conscience, being condemned. I can't tell you how glorious it is to wake up in the morning with a pure conscience. And when I wake up in the morning, as has happened at times when I have violated what the Holy Spirit has asked of me, I'm very quickly confronted by the Holy Spirit and then he takes me to the woodshed or he takes me to the prayer closet he he deals with me stop it enough don't go there if you do it'll be woodshed time well I've had enough experience in my life I don't want to go to the woodshed anymore I want to quickly repent and turn my heart back to Jesus and be washed and made clean. He is not a hard man. He's He is such a kind, such a kind, merciful Savior. But his expectation is that we will not bear the fruit of the law, which is a guilty conscience. Some of you actually believe that Paul teaches, now as we go into this, that he was a great sinner as a converted man. I've said a number of times on this broadcast, sin is always intentional. For a man or woman who has come to the Lord Jesus, has died to the law, and has been married to Jesus... Sin no longer rules over our hearts or our lives. So walk with me now. We'll start in Romans 7, verse 5. For when we used to be in the flesh, the passions of our sins through the law used to be at work in our members with the result that we bore fruit to death. The Apostle Paul, after his astonishing conversion on the Damascus Road, no longer bore fruit for death. He bore the fruit of sanctification of holiness. Please do not establish your truth on your experience. Do not establish your truth based on your experience and do not base your truth on someone else's experience. So today in the modern church we have very popular national preachers who are on the radio every day and they will say we're going to sin until the day we die one man 
was so bold as to say he was raised in a holiness church, but he was never able to get the victory over sin. And so he finally said he recognized that he would always be a sinner and he could never gain the victory, and he accepted that the grace of Jesus would cover him. And all he had to do was do his best, because if he sinned, all he would do is lose fellowship with Jesus and some rewards once he got to heaven. He based his truth on his experience. And his experience was that he did not die out and allow Jesus Christ to birth him in newness of life. He somehow grew up in that holiness church believing that holiness came from striving that holiness was not a gift from God. I find in the scriptures that just as being born from above is a gift from God and all of my sins being forgiven and wiped away, so is being sanctified and living clean before God. This too is equally a gift from God. It is not by works. It is by faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. So he says, but now we were delivered from the law, having died to that by which we used to be bound with reference to us to serve God in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. If you can't overcome that alcohol, it's because you've never died to it. If you can't overcome that bitterness in your heart, it's because you've never died to it. Delivery from sin only comes through the resurrection Christ. And before you can go to the resurrection Christ, you've got to go through that cross. You've got to be crucified. A lot of people try to live the Christian life and avoid the cross. The only open door into heaven is through a cross. First the cross of Jesus, and then your cross. Remember, he said, take up your cross. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. That cross is an everyday dying totally and completely, and living in Jesus Christ. What then shall we say? Shall we say the law is sin? Certainly not. But I did not know sin except through the law. For I had not known lust except the sin was saying, you shall not lust. In other words, the law comes and corrects our behavior. Now, you can be walking in the sin of lust when there is no law. Cain killed his brother when there was no law. But there was still death. And Adam and Eve and Cain and Seth, they all died without a law because the wages of sin is death so whether you know it's sin if you are walking ignorant of the law and refusing to allow it to confront your life as one person I know boldly states I don't serve your Jesus I serve the goddess of this earth. This person is totally thrown off the law. But she's still walking in death. And if she does not come to Jesus and die to the law, the law will kill her at the judgment bar of Jesus. She will die because the law will demand her death. 
There's only one way to escape the death of the law, and that is by dying to it. We must walk through the cross. He says in verse 8, But sin, having taken opportunity through the commandment, wrought in me every conceivable lust. Now, apart from the law, sin is dead. Once I used to live apart from the law, but the commandment having come, sin revived and I died. Well, how did that happen for Paul? Well, Paul was not born a Pharisee. He studied under Gamaliel. He learned the law. And the more he learned the law, the more he recognized the inward struggle he was experiencing, that he was not able to keep that law, and so it drove him almost crazy. It drove him to kill the people of the way. He became a murderer, trying to keep the law. I think he had many sleepless nights. Listen. And the commandment meant for life, this was found by me to be unto death. So living under the law is a way to death. Now, if I say to you, you can go ahead and sin, but you're saved anyway. What have I done? I have taken away your consciousness that sin brings death. Am I your friend then? No, I'm your enemy. Any man, any woman who will teach that you can be a sinning Christian is an enemy of your soul. And if you are convinced that you can walk in your fleshly desires in the lust of your heart, if you're convinced that you are okay lying or cheating or stealing, if you're convinced that because you're under the blood of Jesus, his grace is covering you, and that you can never change this, you can never be made righteous, then you've been taught a lie. And the person who taught you is an enemy of your soul. Verse 11, For sin, having received occasion through the commandments, completely deceived me. So Paul is saying, I was deceived. He thought he was being saved. He thought he was doing what he had to do to be saved. But he said, I was completely deceived. Though it put me to death, and through it, it put me to death. Paul recognizes that sin is killing him. And if you're taught that sin is not killing you, don't worry about it. As the one man who went to a mega church here in the Virginia, greater Virginia area, he went to his pastor and he said, Pastor, would you pray with me? I am a drug addict. I attend church regularly. My wife is active in the church. But I'm a drug addict. And the pastor said, Oh, my brother, you don't need to be concerned about those drugs. You're saved. Jesus is your Savior. When you die, you won't be interested in those drugs anymore. So don't worry about it. What did that pastor just do? He just condemned that drug addict to hell. And if the Holy Spirit does not intervene and bypass that pastor's lies and redeem this man from his drugs, he cannot be saved. That's what Romans 7, that's what Romans 6, 7, and 8 teach us. Verse 12, so then the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and just, and good. 
then the good has become then has the good become death to me certainly not but the sin became death to me in order that it may be revealed as sin through the good that is in the law, working death in me, so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. So is the law evil? No. It's simply a tool that the Holy Spirit is using in the new covenant to point out your dreadful condition before God. And if you have received an antidote for the law, that allows you to continue to live without dying to your sin, you have been lied to. And the poison of of the sin will kill you. Verse 14, Paul is now going to begin to speak in what is called the historical present. We have that in English as well. Speaking about the past as though it were now. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal. Is Paul's current life experience under the law? No. Paul's current experience is under grace. And grace is not a blanket that covers us. It is the divine influence of God that teaches us to say no to ungodliness. He says, having been sold under sin, for what I work out, I do not understand. For what I do will not, for what I do not will, this I practice. But what I hate this I do. But if what I do not will, this I do. In other words, what he wants to do, he's not doing. He can't force himself to obey the fullness of the commands of the law. Verse 17, but now it is no longer I that work it out, but sin dwelling in me. Does sin dwell in the Christian? No. No. He says, For I know that in me there is, in my unregenerate nature, nothing good dwells. Now he's clarifying. He's letting us know that he's speaking in the historic past or the analytic past in the Greek tense. He's letting us know that he's speaking about his unregenerate self. He's saying that in my unregenerate nature, there's nothing good dwelling. And he's struggling. For to will is present with me, but to work out what is right I find not. For I do not the good that I wish, but the evil that I wish not. This I practice. But if what I wish not, this I do, I no longer am working it out, but the sin is dwelling in me. Does sin dwell in the Christian? I just read for you Romans 6, where Romans 6 says, no, sin does not dwell in the Christian. The Christian has died. He's no longer bearing fruit for wickedness. He's no longer ashamed of the fruit he's bearing. He said, I find the law reveals to me the one wishing to do right, what the evil is present with me. For I delight in the law according to the inner man, but I see a different law in my members warring against the law of my mind and capturing me by the law of sin. Has he been freed in this account from the law of sin? No, he's just said, I'm under the law of sin. Do you see that? 
I see a different law in my members warring against the law of my mind and capturing me by the law of sin being in my members. The law of sin rules in Paul's members pre-conversion. Verse 24, Romans seven twenty-four. A, dist- a distressed man I am. Are you distressed about the sin that dwells in your life? I'm guessing many of you are not because you've believed the lie that you're saved in the midst of your sin. You're under the law of sin and you have said I can't be free of that law of sin until I die. So I just have to put up with the law of sin in my heart, in my life, and I have to do the best I can do. And some of you have finally thrown up your hands and said, Jesus, I've tried as hard as I can to follow your will. I can't do it. So, look, you just have to accept me the way I am now. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus wants to make you into a new man, a new woman, a new creature something that never existed before. Kenosis, something that you know that's utterly new. Do you know that in your life today? Do you know the glorious privilege of walking free from your sin and not being under the law of sin any longer? He's a distressed man because of his walking under the law of sin and death. Because the law of sin says, I'm going to kill you. You're going to die. You can't make it. And this is what is so horrific in the modern culture, in Calvinism, in Lutheranism. It is this lie that I must live my whole life under the law of sin and death until I die. And that somehow then, death will be my savior. Is death your savior? Are you going to be made righteous when you die? Is it death that makes you righteous? Or is it Jesus that makes you righteous? Now Paul is very clear that as he's walking under the law, his inner world is miserable. And if while you're walking under the law of sin and death, you have found a hiding place, a lie, if you have made a lie your place of security, how will you face the judgment bar of God when the word says very, very clearly the wages of sin is death, but the gift of grace from God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So if you're under the law of sin and death, You have not yet received the gift of grace from God. And yet the modern teaching is, oh, just say you love Jesus. Just say you'll accept him. And you're good to go to heaven. You're saved. You're on your way. There could be no greater lie. And many of you are very comfortable in this lie. You are comfortable. You don't need to spend nights of prayer. You don't need to sacrifice everything you have. You can live a normal, happy American life. You can enjoy your professional sports. You can enjoy the television. You can eat at the smorgasbord of the devil as one One pastor said, I've learned how to hang out with God, but I also know how to hang out with the world. 
and we as Christians have to know how to do both. He's deceived. He's preaching the venom of the serpent to his people. The the venom of that serpent from the Garden of Eden has bitten the American church and we are dying. Do you recognize that? The modern church in America is waiting to be swept away. Now, what's going to happen when suddenly the Pope announces or somebody announces, I've had a meeting with an alien being. And what happens when you see that on television? What happens when you see military officers introducing a, an alien being who is beaming with light and who says we created you many years ago and we've been waiting for you to advance far enough that we could come and communicate with you we are your gods you were created to be our servants what are you going to do when you listen to John MacArthur and he preaches that you can receive the mark of the beast and you're still saved. What do you do when modern preachers say, don't worry about the mark of the beast? Nothing can take your salvation. You are, you are eternally saved. You're, you are a part of the kingdom of God and there's no sin that will separate you from God. So you can receive... You can receive the lies and accept the mark of the beast because you have to feed your family. You have to survive. You have to live. And Jesus knows that. He forgave all of your sins at the cross. I hear people say, Jesus finished it all at the cross. He forgave me for my past sins. He forgave me for my present sins. And he forgave me for my future sins. And so I am on my way. I am legally covered by the grace of Jesus Christ. And so John MacArthur, Pastor MacArthur, a very popular radio preacher and megachurch pastor from California says, you can receive the mark of the beast. Don't worry about it. You're saved. You can't be lost. All of your sins were f- were finished at the cross. And then they come and teach that this struggle that the Apostle Paul is having in the seventh chapter under the law of sin and death, that the Apostle Paul was also under the law of sin and death. And then they go further and they take other passages and twist them and say, See? This passage teaches that Christians sin. This is a regular part of a Christian's life. And so the deception grows. And there's no need then to have a distressed soul. We in America are real big on on not letting anything distress our soul. We want to be happy. Don't worry. Be happy. He says in Romans seven twenty four, a distressed man, I am. Can I put it another way? An upset man under deep conviction and I don't know what to do. How am I going to live? I can't make it. I've tried as hard as I can, but I can't be righteous. It's hopeless. Jesus is just going to have to accept me the way I am. No, he's not. He's not in the business of accepting you the way you are. He's in the business of changing you, of transforming you, of metamorphosis. Listen to what he says. And I think this is probably where John Bunyan, as he wrote his wonderful allegory of Pilgrim's Progress, I think this is the verse where he's quoting 
when he's walking out in the fields, reading his Bible, under deep distress, he can't sleep, he's under deep conviction of sin. And he cries out, What am I to do? Where do I go? How can I be saved? An evangelist comes. Who will deliver me from the body of this death? Anything that you have been taught that causes you to not feel a necessity to ask that question was a lie from the pit of hell. Anything that took away your distress of your sin is a lie from the pit of hell. Any theology that excuses and makes light of your sin is devaluing the broken body of Jesus on that cross of Calvary. Don't celebrate the resurrected Lord and claim cheap grace when you walk in your wickedness you have to first be crucified and a crucified the whole idea of a crucified man is so distressing to my heart that it wants to make me weep he says I'm a distressed man who will deliver me from the body of this death in verse 25 he gives the answer I thank God now why is he answering this way because he has been delivered it is a present experience of deliverance he says I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord so then I myself indeed with the mind serve the law of God but with the flesh the law of sin well guess what he no longer walks in the flesh. If he still walked in the flesh, he would still walk in sin. But he doesn't walk in the flesh anymore. I'll show you. Chapter 8. Remember I said you have to read chapter 8 too? Therefore. What's it therefore referring back to? I was a distressed man. I cried out for deliverance. I was delivered through Jesus Christ, my Lord. So with my mind, I served the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin and death, the flesh had to be crucified. Notice, therefore, there is now, in my current experience, there is for therefore now no condemnation to the ones in Christ Jesus, not walking according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus that is, the law of the Spirit of life in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ set me free from the law of sin and death. Don't claim to be under the law of sin and death and pretend that the blood of Jesus has no power to remove that. Paul is saying, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ set me free from the law of sin and death. For the inability of the law, in that it was weak by means of the flesh, God having sent his own Son in the similarity of flesh with reference to sin and concerning sin, he brought down judgment upon sin while in the flesh. In other words, while he was in his body, he brought down judgment on sin at the cross. He did not bring judgment on you. He brought it on sin. If sin, if you have died to sin, there's no judgment on you. If you're in sin, you are under judgment and you will not be saved. 
in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be be fulfilled in us, the ones not walking around according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the ones according to the flesh mind the things of the flesh, but the ones according to the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For the mind of flesh is death, but the mind of the Spirit is life and peace. Since the mind of flesh is is enmity or hatred is the root of enmity. The flesh is enmity against God. Indeed, it is not subject to the law of God, neither is it possible. In fact, the ones being in the flesh are not able to please God. But you, you are not in the flesh. Now, can you imagine that Paul is saying you're not in the flesh because you have been set free in Christ, but I'm still in the flesh? and I'm still condemned, and I'm still a sinner? Come on. Be logical with me, please. You've been taught a lie if you have been taught that Paul was a sinner after he was converted. This is Romans 8, verse 9. But you, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, since the Spirit of God dwells in you, But if anyone has not the Spirit of Christ, this one is not of him. If you are walking in sin, and you are calling yourself a Christian, you are not of Jesus Christ. You have religion. You have culture. You have a social practice. But you do not have Jesus Christ. And you are not saved. And you have not been born again. Because you are a pagan. And if you want to be saved, you're going to have to allow the Holy Spirit to begin to convict you of your sin and distress your mind like he did the Apostle Paul's. And you're going to have to discover that only Jesus Christ can deliver you. He's waiting for you. Let him distress your mind. I almost titled this broadcast today, A Distressed Mind. But in fact, it's the truth of Romans 7. We're out of time. Let me give you quickly an address. I'd love to hear from you. The National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 23, 46 Woodbridge Virginia 22195 Now please go to our webpage nationalprayerchapel.com and have a distressed mind today If you're walking in sin don't pretend get honest with Jesus let him convict you Let him change you. Let him transform you into a new creature in Christ Jesus. I love you, my brother, my sister. That's why I come and preach this way. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon. Now unto him who is able.